One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Chris Evans here. A big thank you for downloading our Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up on this week's edition of The Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky, legendary comedian Sir Billy Connolly chats his new book, Tall Tales and Wee Stories. Kelly MacDonald tells us about her incredible new series, Giri Hadji. Jensen Button skids in with his brand new book, How to Be an F1 Driver. Bill Bailey and Kelly Shirley discuss starring alongside Idris Elba for season two of the Sky Original show In the Long Run. Plus loads more great guests. Enjoy, my friends, enjoy. From the shipyards of Glasgow to the glitz and glamour of Hollywood, he's seen it all. Regularly voted as one of the greatest stand-ups of all time, his new book, Tall Tales and Wee Stories, is out today. Let's face it, you're always going to win when it comes to the big yin. Please welcome the one and only Billy Connolly. That was lovely. (laughs) That's what I'm used to every day. (laughs) When you come downstairs. Um, Right, so Billy Connolly, the stand-up. Is it true that it happened all by accident, a fortuitous universal lining up of the stars? One night you forgot the lyrics to a song, and so you started to explain to the audience what the song was about, you started to get some laughs, and you thought, aye, aye, there's something in this. Is that about right? Yes, that was absolutely right. Where was it? It was was in Paisley in Scotland in a folk club. I was singing a song called St Brendan's Isle, and I was playing my banjo and I came to the middle of the song and I'd forgotten the lyrics. So I started to explain the song. I said, I've forgotten the words, but it's about this. And people started to laugh and then they laughed more and more. And uh, I thought, this is good. And uh, after that, I I had kind of decided that comedy was the way. It was as easy as that. We've got to talk about 1975 and we've got to talk about that appearance on Parkinson. Yeah. Just for people who don't know about it, tell tell us about the, the particular story you told on the show, which meant the next day you, you were literally... I was famous the next day. You were a household name within 24 hours. Yes. I went on Mike Parkinson's show and a guy had told me a joke the previous week in Spain. I was at a football match in Spain. And a guy ran up to me in the street on the way to the park and he told me the joke and I fell against a wall. When he told me at my back against the wall, I was laughing and he walked away and I've never met him since. And it was about a guy who murdered his wife and he, he was telling his friend, I murdered my wife. And he said, oh, come on, give me a break. He said, I'll show you. And he takes him round to a shed behind his house and he opens the door and there's it's an empty shed with a mound of earth and a bum sticking out of it. And he said, that's her. And he said, my God, why did you leave her bum sticking out? He said, I need somewhere to park my bike. When he told me it, my, the power of my legs left me. I was sliding down the wall. When I was going into the show, I was in the limo with my manager, Frank Lynch, and he said, whatever you do, don't tell that joke. It'll be the end of you. And, I, and I, during the show, I got the idea, that's, this is the time for the joke. And I did it, and it had the most devastating effect on Parkey. He was speechless, and, and the, the audience were in an uproar for ages. And then the following day, I was going through Heathrow, and a Chinese guy asked me for my autograph. I thought, that's weird. And I got to Glasgow, and I was coming through the main lobby of the airport, and everybody burst into applause. And it was, that was it. I had done it. I understand, and I, 
I, I believe it because you said it, but I find it hard to believe that you have often been petrified before going on stage, yet when you're on stage, you seem like the most confident performer in the world. The, the fear of performance got worse as the years went by. It never got better. It got worse and worse and worse. And I've, I've met loads of guys who were like that. Robin Williams was like that. He didn't show it, but he told me he was the same. It's bizarre. And, and the walk to the stage, it goes away from the side of the stage to the microphone. It goes away and you become this other person. It's hard to describe and sounds a bit pretentious, but you become another guy. Your voice changes. The, the, the level, the timbre of your voice changes. You become this confident person like a salesman. It's, a, it's the most blissful feeling. Is it something you can do almost without thought? Yes. I never prepared for shows. I would try and think of something to say first. I wouldn't think out my act, but I would try and think of what I was going to say the first time they heard my voice. I would try and get that down. Sometimes it wouldn't come. Most of the time it came, and then it just flowed on from there. They and me together. So you could go out for a two-hour, sometimes three-hour gig. Yes. Without, literally without an act, but with a, li- a sort of shopping list of topics That's in, right. in your brain. Yeah. And stories around that that you that you fleshed out, that you wrote down once or, or no, not? No, I never wrote them down. Nothing ever? Never. Incredible, Billy. I, th- I thought that's what everybody was doing. <laughs> well, it wasn't. And it isn't, is it? It isn't. And, and comedians write to me and when they meet me, they say, how did you write? I have trouble writing my stuff. How do you do it? And I say, I don't do it. That must be so frustrating for them. It's because I thought that's the way to do it. I thought that's what everybody was doing. So when, when, it, when a, a night, a particular night on stage was going particularly well, yeah. would you, could you think, would you think, did you think, have you thought, this is going far too well, uh, we need to take a really big chance now? Okay, we they've had they've had the money's worth. I've had my money's worth. I feel good about myself. They'll f- feel good about themselves. Let's let's really sort of sh- throw the balls up in the air for the last twenty minutes. Would you do that? How might you do that? No, I just carried on They're achieving that level of goodness in the room. The, the two of us flying was enough for me. I didn't need to take it anywhere else. It's it's a job. I remember in Dunedin in New Zealand. I was on stage for four hours. I, I looked at my watch and I had done three and a half hours. It was half 11. And I said, my God, it's half 11. <laughs> Let's go till tomorrow. <laughs> and then at which point they cheered. Like and they, they went, Ray! And then you went for another half an so hour. So I carried on <laughs> and there was a bell on top of the town hall. Right. And at midnight it went, bong! And the audience went, yes! And all stood up. That's brilliant. Right, so as we sit here today, how are you? How is life? It's good. Tell me about it. I've stopped performing because of my Parkinson's disease. And it's, I've stopped t- touring. I might perform at some other point, but I, I have no plans to. And I'm quite happy taking my medicine and getting along with it. I've started to drool, which is a new one on me. This disease, it gives you a new thing every now and again that you have to deal with. And drooling is my latest. I walk unsteadily and I... My hearing is going, and it's it's bizarre that bits of me are falling off. But it's interesting. Do you fear the future? Are you frightened? No, I find it interesting. And people are good to me. My wife is good to me. She makes me breakfast every day and does my pillows at night. It's life is good. Billy, thanks so much. Thank you very much. It's a joy being here. 
the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Come on, let's talk to another special guest. Dapper Dave, over to you. Who are we talking to next? She's train spotted, she's Harry Potter, she's Nanny McFeed, and now she's taking on the Japanese accuser in the new cross continent crime thriller Giri Haji, which starts tomorrow night on BBC Two. So let's all say Konichiwa Yokoso to the really quite lovely Kelly McDonald. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. How are you? Well done. Yeah, he's very good. He speaks yeah. fluent. Is it Swedish or Danish? Swedish. Swedish. But your wife's Danish? No, she's, no, she's Swedish. Swedish. <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, <laughs> so, so oh Giri Haji, what yes. does it mean? Um, it means duty, shame. Duty and shame. Yeah. And that comes up on the show, doesn't it? I watched the first episode last night. It's brilliant. It really is brilliant. Yeah. I've seen one episode as well, and I just can't wait to see the rest. All right, off you go. Try and explain it on the radio. <laughs> Suddenly thought I should have I should have had to think about this in should the park. Lessons um, in it. It's a crime drama, um, but it's unlike any crime drama I've ever seen, and um, and it's it's just very new. I I keep thinking about Train Spotting. How when Train Spotting came out, it was just this different new. Thing, and I feel the same about you. Yeah, because it was written differently and it was shot differently, wasn't mm. it? And it was acted differently. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. This is exact. It's not like Train Spotting at all, but it's as different as Train Spotting was. That's I what you so. mean. Yeah, and there's there's all these surprising elements in it. There's animated sequences, and um, there is dancing at one point, and um, you know, it's just it's just really exciting. I'm okay, just... and we have uh, we have uh, uh, Great Britain at its grisliest, and we have we have we have a. A pool of coppers, don't we? Who, yeah. who are who are following one particular uh, potential crime, and then we have your character, and then we have this massive Oriental presence, right? Again, over to you. I don't really know how to explain it. Well, it's basically um, everything kicks off in Japan and Tokyo, like the yakuza. There's this big um, brutal murder that happens, and um, and it sort of bleeds over into London. You know, the story takes us to London. So it's a, it's a mafioso kind of thing, isn't yeah. it, that's going on. Yeah. It's an underworld, organised crime kind of thing that's going on. We're talking about hit squads, hit men, people being done away with, yeah. you know. Um, and then, then your character pops up. Tw- and they said on the email, oh, she doesn't appear till 25 minutes. So... <laughs> And they say that as if, like, I'm only going to watch it for 25 minutes or, like, they've sent me the wrong episode, which is fair enough. To be honest, I have thought that a few times, so I take it back. But, but um, So we're looking forward to your appearance. Oh, good, that's nice. And it also, I, I quite enjoy the fact that I'm not in it to, at the very beginning. No, but then, know? of course, you do. You do. You sort, you, you sort of take over. Uh, so so um, your character is a little bit uh, prime suspect. It's a little bit Jane um, Tennyson. She's, well, she's a detective, yeah. and she um, is persona non grata, um, with her workmates, she's mostly kinda, blokes. Mostly That's blokes, the Jane Tennyson yeah. connection I'm giving yeah. you. Yeah, she's actually I'm dressed a bit like her name's Sarah Weitzman, and I'm dressed a bit like my character today. I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> um, yeah, she kind of um, she's not happy at work or really in her personal life, and she gets sort of um, involved in this Japanese crime story that you know just takes over her life in a quite pleasing way. Yeah, she, even though everything's sort of blowing up and going wrong, she's, she's she's the smartest cookie in the class without question, right? <laughs> she wears her intelligence lightly, but she wears her fury silently as well. Uh, you're worried about your past, or your character's worried about her past. Yeah. Um, she then goes and dishes it out to a crime lord, which is brilliant. It's one of, it, that is very transporting that speech. <laughs> yeah, you scared the life. I watched it twice that bit. I thought oh, really? that's really scary because you're very calm, very considered. Um, 
and you go and you're very protective because you meet somebody when you you're, you're investigating a crime who is a victim uh, they are they're a victim of circumstance aren't they yeah uh, the, the kid who plays the the male prostitute will sharp who, who is, is amazing he's you can't take your eyes off him he's just he's amazing and i only watched you know he's so clever as well he wrote and is in and directed Flowers, the TV show, and I hadn't, I, I didn't really know Will's work while I was working with him, which I'm quite pleased about now because I've since You'd learned how amazing he is. I would have been so intimidated <laughs> and unable to sort of converse with him. So, yeah, he's very special. They're all, I mean, everybody's incredible. Yeah, and uh, I just want, I'm trying to get you to watch it. I want you to watch it, everyone, because this is one of those where, and you'll notice this more and more as, as our relationship grows, hopefully, on the air together here between yourselves and us here at Virgin <laughs> to- at the top of the news tower, but you'll notice that I, when I rave about things because I really, really think they're brilliant. And this is one that you should really watch. Uh, you all got on well. You can tell, can't you? Like you say, when you're doing group press junkets of this, there's, there's, a, there's a frequency, there's a vibe. Yeah. Uh, you're all vibrating at the same frequency because you know you've got a hit on your hands. All the journalists, uh, uh, they meet you with a different sort of look on their face because they know they're writing about something really good. Well, really, the questions get more interesting, you know? It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. And also I have to say, um, Joe Barton, who is the writer on the show, is just an incredible talent is amazing so it was all there on the page and then it, as as we started filming these things came up and they thought why don't we do this why do and it became this sort of snowball but when you like an actor right and i really like you on the screen you all you you see them you, you hear they're going to be in it and then you see them on the screen and immediately you think how is she going to play it you know, what's it gonna, is it going to be like any of the other things she's done? Did you draw from any of the roles or is she brand new this one? She's sort of brand new. And Julian uh, Farino, who directed it, I've worked with before. And and it's because of him I got the chance um, to play Sarah. And he he came to me because he, he thought she was quite like me. You know, my own character. What, real? The person? Yeah. The person sort of within. Leaning quite heavily into sort of... Um, you know, if if I feel awkward, I try and make people laugh, and and I think Sarah's a bit like that. She sort of is a bit sort of awkward and kind of. Yeah, she has certain arrows in her quiver. She, <laughs> t- she depending on what the situation is, she takes the, the 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 one appertaining to how it might help her. What's that? Well, she she's got certain. She's got a yellow arrow. She's got a red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah, yeah, yeah. She uses what works, but yeah. um, yeah. So I I yeah, Julian. I'm so grateful that he phoned me that day. All right, uh, Kelly McDonald starts tomorrow in a brand new show, Geary Hadji, 9pm Beef Street. Watch. It's a, it's a, it's, I'm telling you to watch it. I'm saying, look, you won't ask for this hour of your life back, OK? I promise you that. No problem there. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Let's have some guests on the radio. Dapper Dave, tell us who. Idris Elba's most excellent comedy in the long run returns tomorrow for Series 2 on Sky 1. And some of your favourite characters are back, back, back. Please welcome his happy-go-lucky neighbours, Bagpipes and Kirsty Delacroix, also known as the brilliant Bill Bailey and Kelly Shirley. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, what? Kelly. Good morning. Good morning. How are we today? Oh, I'm fine. Does he sound sexy, that deep voice? Not, well, to, not in my, my ears, oh, but in, it's, in as long as it's working for you, it's fine. It is, it's working for um, you. Bill, first of all, uh, are we, uh, during this interview, are we going to find out why he's called Bagpipes? Probably not. OK, is there, is there a reason? There is, but it's lost in the midst of time. No, but have you, do you know what the reason is? There is a reason, yes, but it's. Is uh, it going to happen? Is it going to be like Del Boy when we <laughs> at, the, at the wedding reception when he's left on his own and suddenly we find out that the reason he's never left Rodney is because he's promised his mum on his deathbed that that would on her wow, deathbed. Wow, you've that really thought about this, haven't you? Well, no, because that's because I know you know I feel like you know it's it's a Chekhov thing. What's the Chekhov quote? What the slice the, of life? The, no, the rifle on the thing in Act One. 
If there's really? a rifle, if, oh, if, yeah, if there's a rifle, oh, I see. On yes, yeah, shelf you have in to that one, it's going to be fired by the end. Yes, so, oh, so I see. The reason it's probably quite not as deep as that. Come though. on, now. <laughs> but is it? Ooh, it's not right, really. It's right for the picking. It's nothing. It's, nothing. it's honestly, it's very. I think it's a bit of filth, isn't it? It's filth. Yeah, it's a bit of filth. Okay, let's leave that there for now. For now, second question to Bill is to do with Rachel's husband. Okay. Do you know who Rachel's husband is? Um, I'm afraid I don't. Okay. Know. This is Rachel Horn. Her husband is Alex Horn. Oh, hello. From the Horn section, and Hi. also creator, originator, architect, and arbiter of Taskmaster. Yes. And he really wants you to go on. And he says he's seen you cycling regularly past the Taskmaster house, as if you're waiting to be asked. <laughs> Really? <laughs> you where, were spotted. Where is the Taskmaster? Well, I probably shouldn't say. Well, it is in it is West in the London. area. It's in the People West London this. area. Well, yeah. that could very well be me because that's me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I've cycled in that area are you, are you, a lot. Are you sure you're not cycling past there on purpose because you want to be on the program? What with a banner trailing behind, going, <laughs> yeah, "Put me on the show, please." Just saying. Just I'm saying. not doing it. No, no, yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm very very touched and flattered that I'd be asked. Thanks. Would you consider a, a guest hosting? I would thing consider of... it absolutely. There yes, I like. Brilliant. Well. There you go. You've, you've managed to handbag me. I uh, wanted to do a series 10. <laughs> you grabbed me I could, online. I could rucksack you. you yeah, like. you could rucksack me, yes. <laughs> uh, I can't go any further with on a negotiation than I'll that. I'll speak to you after. Okay. All right. Is that all right? Yeah, thanks okay. very much, okay. Chris. There you go. Can we speak thanks about that one? Yeah. Okay, perfect. I just no, meant note to self, uh, change cycling route. <laughs> <laughs> right, in the long run, series two begins tomorrow. Um, all episodes available, all six of them, uh, second series available tomorrow on Sky One and Now TV. Um, so uh, let's talk about... Uh, where we are? Where, where, how did the, we, we leave this, the first series, please, if you don't mind, Kel? Oh, how did we leave the first series? Oh, help me out. Um, well, basically, what, there was a it's bit 1985, of... the yes. last series. This is 1986. Yep. Um, still the 80s. Still, still the 80s. The jumpers are still spectacular. The shell suits are still in full effect. Uh, and there's a bit of trouble brewing at the works. Oh, yes, that's what happened. Yeah. That's what happened. We only yeah. watched it last night. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I know what happens in the series. I've just, where did we leave off? Was there a cliffhanger at the end of the first series? Basically, yeah. There oh, was, yes. Yes, I mean, uh, the character played by Idris, Walter, is yeah. uh, it, there's trouble at the works. There's basically the, the potential of a strike brewing, industrial action. Right. And... Uh, this affects obviously everyone in the area because a lot of people work at the, the plant. You and he work together. Yeah, we work together, yeah, yeah. and of course, um, the the characters I play, Bagpipes and Kelly's character, <laughs> Curtis, who I'm not going to tell you why he's called Bagpipes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was struck by some bagpipes at the age of four. No, um, they are obviously you know there's a sort of that 80s acquisitional aspirational element to it. So they think oh. You know, if we lose our job, if I lose a job, we can't move out to the country and get all the nice things that, you know, the 80s are about. So, And know. the other thing, the other cliffhanger thing is we obviously are white and I have a child who is mixed race mm. that we are bringing up. Well, Bill's bringing up, mm. Bagpipes is bringing up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that that's... Um, um, yeah, it presents a bit of a well, yes. So, yeah. It's a it's an it's an issue that was raised at the end. It's not it's not resolved, and it's sort of in series two is resolved. Series two begins tomorrow, Wednesday, sixteenth of October, ten pm Sky One and Now TV, and all episodes will be available from I think it's midnight tonight. Is it midnight? Is it one minute past midnight when everything drops? Okay, but you've seen them all. Bill has yes, seen them all. I've seen them. Okay, Kelly, you've seen them all. Mm. Uh, yep. You had an epic screening of all six back to back. Um, how are the comfort breaks there? Because we're all of a certain age, aren't we? That's that's three how hours. How dare you? No, no, not about? you. I'm looking at Bill here. What are you talking about? Three hours. Come on. 
I mean, uh, what is... well, can you hold, excuse me, can you just pause it a minute, please? Hold on, hold on. <laughs> You're saying it's just somehow physically decrepit. No, no. <laughs> you can't sit through <laughs> three hours, three episodes. No, th- They're only three twenty-five hours. minutes. They're each. only twenty-two minutes each. Oh, or 22. something. All right, it's coming down then. Okay, so, get so it's like an hour. To... I think I can hold on for an hour. So you only saw three? No, then we had a break, yeah, obviously. So you, so you did have a yes, break? Yes, of course we had a break, but it wasn't just because we were all about to pass out. <laughs> I need my carer to all take right. me to the disabled... For God's sake! Maybe I'm still reeling from The Irishman, which is three and a half hours oh, long. Oh, right, OK. But was it amazing? I, I don't know, I didn't see it. My mate went to see it with his wife, and his wife had to grab a cab after two and a half hours because she couldn't stand it any longer. That, that sounds like a great review. That's great, yes. great night out. No, it's got five stars everywhere, but um, I don't know who from. <laughs> yeah. People are watching it in instalments. Just give it five stars and I'd have to watch. Anyway, listen back to your show. All right, Idris Elba. This it's is very short. If you if anyone's <laughs> listening and they it's very short. You can watch it in short. No, but also they don't bursts. have to go to the screenings because they'll they'll be near their loo. They can watch God it on dear. the loo on the dear, laptop. Dear, what's the demographic of this show? <laughs> I'm scared to ask. <laughs> yeah. I, can't, I can't see the small print, to be honest, Bill. People go, oh, is the radio on? Do I like lager? All right, I can't oh. wait. I can't. Yeah. I didn't watch it yesterday because I had to read... Uh, I had to. I read Brett Anderson's book, cover to cover. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Ozzy Jane watched your, your show and loved it, so yeah. I can't wait to watch it tonight. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you. Thank All you for right. having us. OK, that's great. In the long run, you'd listen to Bill Bailey and Kelly Shirley in the long run, Series 2. It's an absolute cracker, especially if you're a child of the 80s. You're talking about now making the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Uh, all episodes available uh, tomorrow on Sky One and Now TV. Thank you, guys. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. Angela Scanlon discusses her fab new podcast, Thanks a Million. Richard Osman delves into his book to accompany his daily quiz show, Richard Osman's House of Games. Sarah Turner, better known as the Unmumsy Mum, chats her new book, A to Z, and an expert guide to parenting. Plus, frontman of Sway, Brett Anderson, tells us about the early days of the band and his brand new bandography, Afternoons with the Blinds Drawn. All that and more, but first, Dapper Dave, who's next? She's the brightest light in British TV and radio with what can only be described as a golden touch. Her new podcast series, Thanks a Million, discusses all things gratitude with a different celebrity guest each week. So, without further ado, please welcome someone we're all very grateful for. It's the wonderful Angela Scanlon. Morning, Edge. <laughs> Morning. So, so how Thanks. far can gratitude go from a content and compelling fashion as far as a podcast is concerned? How far can it go? Yeah. Well, I think, I suppose, 
it allows me to root into people's lives in a way and make them think about what they're grateful for. But it's not all fluffy. It's quite, there's some quite dark moments, which is appealing right, to how me. Is that, how is that gratitude? How is that gratitude? Well, it's using gratitude and thanks, the big thank you moments in a person's life. So whether it's thank you next or the thank you that got away or the big thank you or... Ooh, yeah, good, isn't it? The thank you that got away. I know, I like that's that. a deep Or one. the big thank you or the next thank you or the lost thank you or the yeah. forgotten thank you. Exactly. <gasps> or the overthank you. <laughs> I do that a bit. Can, can one overthank people? Well, well, I don't know. if one, I think, much like what you were saying about presence with Richard, if you actually really feel it, you don't need to be like, 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 like. I think it's like a, a very Irish thing to be like, sorry, sorry. sorry. We apologise for ourselves a lot and we thank, but we don't really feel that. And so it's yeah, the connection so, between Some people those live on permanent red alert, mm. don't they? And it's exhausting. And yes. I know people like that. And I used to be like that. I'm not like that so much myself. I'm still yeah. like that more than I want to be. But you meet somebody who lives on... Per- somebody who we work with lives on permanent red alert. And I just want to give her <laughs> and say, look, you've got to step down from red alert. Yeah. Because it, this is so tiring for you. Mm. you know? Well, actually, we had Ashling B, who was in here last week with you guys. And she was chatting about the, the traffic light system, which I think I've heard you speak about before. And that idea that if you're living in Amber, so you in the amber, ideal world it, yeah, yeah you should always be in green so that if something tips you over the edge you're into amber it's manageable if you're living in amber all the time and you tip over you're into red it's it's um, curtains so but I agree with you I think there's a lot of people so who, who live in red on? who have you had on who do you want so, on so Ashing B we've got an amazing woman called Cash Carraway who's just brought out a book called Skin to State and she talks about basically living on the Breadline. She's got a, a daughter. She worked in the sex industry. She's now written a, um, a book that's being adapted for Sky. Um, Billy Piper has uh, has bought the rights of that, so she's going to be she's involved. She's optioned in the rights. She has optioned oh the rights, God. man. Yeah. So um, she's wonderful. Johnny Benjamin, who you may know as that, he he wrote a book called Strange on the Bridge, and when he was quite young he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and personality disorder and he'd kind of been in and out of different institutions and really quite hopeless from a very young age his words not mine and um he was in uh, in a psychiatric hospital and he just felt like he had you know done all the medication done all done all of the things and he was just a bit sick of it and he didn't really see a way out and so he managed to get out of the hospital and he left and he, with the intention of committing suicide. And so he went to a bridge that was, that he believed was like one of the most beautiful places in London. And he sat there ready and it was freezing cold morning. And he said people were walking by him, you know, clueless or kind of going, oh, it's not really, you know, my business. And he was obviously in a world of his own. He said he was quite peaceful at the thought of, of ending everything and that it would be a relief to his family and all of the things that we hear these stories, I suppose. And this guy came came over to him on the bridge and and he started talking to him and he said it was almost immediate that it was just this kind of, you know, peace, this trust that he had in this um this stranger who he had obviously never met and he just ch- chatted to him. He's like, you, you, go, you know, it's going to be all right, mate. And it was very, you know, it wasn't patronising, it wasn't panicked. It was just a real human connection. And obviously other people had started to gather around because they realised something was happening and um, unbeknownst to him, police had been called. Anyway, chatted to this guy and he said, look, the the, the guy said to him, "It's fr- you know, it's freezing up here. Well, we, we just go to the cafe down the road and get a cup of tea and, and have a chat. Like, it's it'll be fine. You know, you're going to be all right. And 
So he said, okay, fine, yeah, I'll go to the cafe. They got off the bridge and the police had been called and so they took Johnny away and they the guy left. And so he never he never got to, to find this guy and he then launched, along with the Prince's Trust, years, a couple of years later, uh, a campaign to try and find this guy that had saved his life on a bridge you know, in an attempt to get people to talk about about mental health. And he's since, you know, set up, he's worked with lots of charities, set up his own business. And he's just the most remarkable man in the way he talks about it. So he, but like with hope now and his, you know, aim is to help other people. Um, yeah, so that was, I mean, sorry, I nearly cried and I've heard this quite a few times in the edit, but yeah, it's amazing. No, it is an amazing, amazing story. Man. I heard him talking about it and, um, you know, he, say, he says, the guy came up to me, he says, uh, all right, mate. Yeah. He says, yeah, I'm fine. He says, uh, what are you doing? And that's how it started, wasn't yeah. it? And like an hour and a half later, two hours later. Yeah. But I've not seen the documentary. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. Oh, no. wow. But he's on no. your show. The point is he's on your show. Right, other names, yes. please. Other names, Pandora Sykes, Sharon Clifford, who's uh, the, the sister in Fleabag. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> she allows me to call it. That's what she's called, right? right. She doesn't have a character name. Um, and <laughs> yeah, and loads more. Will you do it? What, your podcast? Yeah. Uh, no, I feel... <laughs> no, no chance. <laughs> I thought you might at least humour me. Um, I feel like it's quite up your street, though. You, no, I feel I'm like a, you live this. I'm a, yeah, I'm a fan of it. I'm, I'm yeah. a, 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 absolutely fan of it. Yeah, like yeah. conscious gratitude, which well, sounds yeah, a bit I mean, fluffy, but it's like the thing actually, is, it's everything, though, isn't it? It's, it's, every, it's just being grateful, you know. Yeah. And the best, the best way to actually get what you want of life, out of life is to give as much as you can to life and totally. to other people. That's the thing. Yeah, and it's very selfish, you know. Mm. I've the, 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 the I never feel better than when I'm doing things for other people, but only do it to feel better about myself yeah well that's fine I'm sorry motivation but, it's, works but, it's, for everybody. but it's true but I think also if you've tried loads of different things and I've tried lots of things I live in my head a lot yeah. and this is one of the things that I find the easiest thing costs no money takes very little time and it really shifts the way you feel no all good all good Angela the best of the Chris Evans breakfast show with Sky on Virgin Radio he's the biggest name in TV quiz shows and at six feet seven tall I mean that literally and figuratively with his latest brainchild House of Games gracing our screens every weekday evening on BBC two he thought it best to write an accompanying book here to tell us all about it please welcome the ingenious Richard Osman good morning Richard Good morning. Morning, everybody. So first things first, uh, Brett Anderson was on the show on Get out of town, Tuesday, was and he was fantastic. He's written was this he? brand new bandography. It's, he says it's the book he said he'd never write because he wrote yeah. his own memoir a couple of years ago. It went gangbusters. Voted best book in the year, uh, best book of the year by uh, lots of the music press. Uh, so he wrote this bandography, which was fascinating. And he came on the show and he talked for an hour, and he was absolutely brilliant. I'm in no pressure. I just got to follow Brett Anderson. Well, right? hang on a second. Because you have you have a, a, a link, don't you? Pretty, I do, yeah. A, a pretty solid link, sturdy yeah. link to Brett Anderson and indeed Suede. Yeah, my brother Matt is the bassist in Suede. He's Get been out in of Suede here. since Come he on. was 17 years old, so since I was 14 years old. All right. He said, I said to my brother, because Brett wrote the first book, and I said to my brother, have you read this new one? He said, I don't think I could go through it again. Is what he said. He said, like, really? I lived it. I lived that whole it's 20 years. It's a fascinating years. book. I think it's... I, the I don't whole think, Brett yeah. and Bernard situation yeah. and Neil and then the, the like young kid comes in. Yeah, Richard and oh. all of that. Wow. And, uh, and it just got me in the mood for, for some live um, some live swear. Th- I said to him, when are you playing next? He said, well, we'll play next year. He said, but we have got this one-off gig at the Shepherd's Bush Empire right. on the 20th of November, which is a Wednesday. And he said, oh, we're playing with the Pretenders. I went, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Stop, 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 stop. Suede are playing with the pretenders. Isn't that brilliant? At the Shepherd's Bush Empire. I know. 
Uh, can you get me in? He said, I think I can get you in. Tickets available now. Tickets. Well, I think it's probably sold out, isn't it? Because it's, oh, it's, it's that's a, not surprising. It's a tribute. It's, it's a fundraiser. Yeah, it's a benefit. It's a, for it's a fundraiser. Their yeah, driver for, or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they share a driver with pretenders. Yeah. And he's he he's had some challenges, and they're doing this fundraising gig. It's going to be amazing. It's right? going to be Two unbelievable. Of the best bands ever. Are you going? Yeah, I'll be there. I lived right around the corner, so I might as well. Okay, so because I have to get up at silly o'clock, I, if I try and go out at night, what happens is don't really have a good night out because I'm thinking about getting up the next day. But then I do stay out later anyway because I bothered to go out and then I have a rubbish show the next day or I feel rubbish during the show. So I booked the Thursday off oh, to go to the clever. gig. Well I've done. never done that before. <laughs> this is the way forward. Really Forget family holidays. <laughs> Pick 17 gigs, book the next day off, holidays Beautiful. done and dusted. Well, so, I hope you don't get stuck behind me. All right, Richard Osman's House of Games, mm-hmm. 101 new and classic games from the hit BBC series. This is like a best of album with a few bonus added tracks. Yeah, exactly that. It's stuff. So House of Games is a show uh, we came up with a couple of years ago. We've done about 300 of them now. And it was just us collecting all the little ideas we have for quiz rounds that weren't enough for a whole show because we invent shows forever and ever and ever. And you play little rounds. You go, that's a brilliant idea. You must have known from you know Toothbrush and everything. You come up with these little things which you could do on Toothbrush. You think, well, let's do two minutes of this. And quizzes, you can't really do that. It has to sustain for half an hour. So we thought, let's get all of these together and just play them. I sit down there. I've got a buzzer. Whenever I press it, a new round comes up. We've got four celebrities who play they never know what's going to happen i don't know what's going to happen i don't know the answers usually they don't know the answers either uh, and it's been a, such a, a really lovely hit and people seem to like it so this is to ruin everybody's christmas we've put all the games together in a book in a book you know i've i've been searching for the holy grail of, of game shows or quiz shows for ages the holy grail for me oh, and we've discussed it before is who wants to be a millionaire yeah uh, blockbusters is pretty good um uh countdown is pretty good because they generate their own questions and yes. coming up with questions is one of the, the oh, big issues the and it's, it's expensive isn't it oh it's crazy it's well, when we used to, because we used to have to get bona fide questions from a, there are quiz question companies, and it was nine pound a question we used yeah. to have to pay. It was that was the going rate for nine pounds. Because well, they write, they have to verify them in three different sources. You're was not it? allowed to verify them on Wikipedia. On Twitter, people always write to me, go, I think you got that question wrong. I looked it up on Wikipedia. You think, oh, good you luck. Can't say Wikipedia around our gang. Uh, so, so what's the going rate for a question now? Is it still nine quid? Well, we do it in house, so it's um, we've we've brought that price down. But, but verifying is. But if you have a run on questions, so yeah. like my, my mates make lanyards, right? <laughs> they do. They've That's got, a nice gig. They've got a little um, mum and pop shop um, at the farm down the road. And the lanyards they make are for huge companies um, who have a last minute event or they, they, they've, they've under-ordered or they've, under, they've under-ordered from China or they've been under-delivered from China. And gotcha. the, our, our mates fill in the gaps, right? Oh, like a lanyard... Um... Uh, emergency service. That's what they're like. They're like yeah. international rescue for like, lanyards. Like the 45th emergency service. Yeah, and their company's got too big now and they're too successful and they don't like it. It's hilarious. <laughs> Can I tell you something about trademarking I found out the other Come day? It was interesting. So look, like you're talking about, there's certain things you're not allowed to do, but there's yeah. certain things you are allowed to do. For example, I'll tell you some words that aren't trademarked. Digestives. So you and I could come up with digestives tomorrow. Custard creams. Uh, bourbons. Why the heck not? And cornflakes. Why? Why not? Why, I don't know. It? It's just they came out so long ago. No one bothered to. Uh, and you know, by the time someone decided to apply for it, there's always thir- there were already thirty of them. So all of those things we could bring out our own brand tomorrow. Wouldn't they? Wouldn't they go to the high court and say, look, via Im- Im- the, the the trademark is implied? No. I mean, if you go to Sainsbury's, implied, Sainsbury's do uh, digestives. You know, of course. Whereas they, they would. They can't. Own brand. They don't do hobnobs. 
Okay. And, and who I, makes Sainsbury's Digesters? Is it Sue McVitie's? Because that's usually I, what happens. Must it's be got right to be, same hasn't it? Place. You look at those Greg Wallace programmes. I could talk to you all day. Yeah, they're making the same stuff, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. All uh, right. Um, out of this book, House of Games, uh, Rich Osmond's House of Games, are they all winners? Uh, they are all winners. It's yeah, nice all killers, no fillers? All killer, no filler. We came up with a lovely new round this year because the stars of House of Games are the question writers who we were just talking about. And so I said, why don't we do this round? It's a question writer's day off. Okay, so we give them the day off and their children write the questions. <laughs> so they do. So generally the kids and some <laughs> nephews and nieces of, of, the, uh, of, of, of the question writers do the questions. And you see the age of the child. You have to pick the child. And some of them are three. And so the questions from 12-year-olds are all about dinosaurs, and they're quite good. But you say you go for Nola, who's three, who's the daughter of our producer. And her first question, so whoever it was, you know, chose it, Johnny Ball or someone says, oh, I'll go for Nola. And the question, her question was, which you don't get on normal quiz shows, was, does Anthony like bananas? <laughs> which is a great question, right? Uh, and I'm guessing he... Doesn't like he does bananas. not like bananas? You're quite right. You should come on. Very yeah, well done. So point to Chris. You know why I think that? Why I thought he doesn't? Go on. Because why else would she ask the question? Yeah, it's a it's a good point. Although her other question was, what bus goes from the bottom of our road? A red one. <laughs> yes, I'm afraid it was a number. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He's used to travelling at over 200 miles an hour and risks his life on a regular basis. His new book, How to Be an F1 Driver, gives you an idea of how that is all possible. Please welcome one of the greatest drivers of his generation and the very handsome face of Sky's F1 coverage, the jet-setting speed demon from Somerset himself. It's Jensen Button. Good morning, Jensen. Good morning. Welcome uh, live from Los Angeles, live and direct from Los Angeles. When did you land? Uh, I landed yesterday, 3.30. Okay, so you're going back on Sunday. So it's a silly trip because you're going to get the worst of the jet lag. You're going to just about get over it, then get on a plane and go back and get jet lag the other end. Yes, but if you read my book, you'll know. You came and said, I'm so jet lagged. I said, well, in your book, you tell us how not to get jet lagged. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> top tips for that generally are? Um, top tips are always, before you leave... Um, <laughs> Basically, think you are where you're going. Yes. Yeah. Think you are where you're going. So set, yes. you, set, you, set your watch as quickly as you can to the time of the place you're going to go. Now, when you were match fit, when you were doing this week in, week out, that's what you did. You what? just forgot I this still time. do. Do you? No, I still do because I race in Japan. So yeah. I'm actually travelling more now than I was in F1, which was never the plan. But um, I've really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm in, on a plane 50 Just times this tell year. us about you you in Japan, the GT series. Okay. Yeah. So you were asked to go and race there. Or you you raced, you had to go over GT car and you said, I'd really like to do this. And they said, well, there is a, there is a, a, a drive going. Is that about right? Yeah, because I was racing with uh, Honda in F1. And uh, they really wanted me to come over and race on their top series in, in Japan, which is Super GT. Uh, and it's the big names. It's, it's Honda against uh, Lexus uh, against Nissan. So I went and did that last year. We won the championship, which is pretty awesome. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So I thought I'd try and win it again, and it's been a rubbish year. Right. Well, that's how you but, get swings around. Yeah, exactly. We've been crashing a lot. But apart from that, it's been fun. The great thing about your book uh, is, A, it's really funny. Uh, B, it is you have the real inside skin and things because you were an F1 driver for eighteen years, seventeen, seventeen years, eighteen years. Uh, But the title, um, the title of the chapters gives you an insight uh, to the lightness of touch Jensen has with the book. Don't call it a comeback, Monaco. Uh, Being a selfish, can't say the next word on the radio. Uh, (laughs) Driving like a pro, even when you're a beginner. How not to buy a yacht and other lifestyle choices. Right, let's get on to first of all motorhomes. Yes. Right. So tell us about you're 21. Uh, you're driving for Williams, and somebody says you need a motorhome because you know the reason that people have motorhomes or drive, drivers have motorhomes is not to be flash; it's to tr- sleep in the same bed every night, and that yeah. makes total sense. Yeah. So, how do you go about buying your first motorhome? 
Um, you look around in the UK, first yeah. of all, and you decide that none of them are quite big enough right. um, for one person. Uh, so <laughs> I ended up buying it um, from another um, racing driver, from Mika Salo. <laughs> uh, it originated actually from Jacques Villeneuve. Right. Um, I don't know if he put the leopard print in the motor or the well, mirrors on the ceiling. it was legend in the air there, wasn't there? Yeah. Jacques Villeneuve, I mean, come on. I know, yeah, it was a world champion's mono, so it must have been good. Okay, there was uh, the, t- the tiger print theme. Was, was, I mean, it's in the, there's a great picture of it there yeah. as well. So how much did that set you back? Uh, that one was about 200, I think it was about 250 grand. I mean, they're still ridiculously and stupidly yeah. uh, and sort of um, uh, vulgarly expensive. However, they're a relative bargain from what they were new. It's like oh, half yeah. price, wasn't it, or something? Yeah, I mean, they're one and a half million for a oh, proper one now. Yeah, Because right. Will Smith is the king of motorhomes in Hollywood. Have you ever seen the Will Smith motorhome? No. Oh, it's online. You've got to check it out. Will Smith's motorhome. Who, who, who was in your heyday the, the king of the motorhome? Was it Schumacher? No, he didn't. Well, actually, he did. He had one of those trucks, though. Right, he had and a, a truck. And a few of the drivers have trucks now. Lewis has a truck, exactly. doesn't he? Exactly. Lewis has a truck. So it's a, it's a full-on um, semi. I don't know what you call them here in the UK. I've lived in America too long, okay. but a massive truck <laughs> right. and the sides pop out. Right. So it's basically, it's, it's, a, it's just a mobile home. It's okay, and Lewis has a certain style that you mentioned in the book, very minimalist. Um, well, he's changed his style over the years. When we were teammates, he was a very relaxed, minimalist sort of guy. Right. Um, obviously, his style's changed. And yep. I like that he's got a style, and I think it's cool for F1. I think it, it brings something to the sport. Don't get diplomatic on that. It's not interesting. <laughs> uh, then you go from motor homes, very swiftly, same chapter. Um, how not to buy a yacht? Um, right, so, uh, discuss. What? Well, what? Well, you know? <laughs> no, okay, but you're you you sort of you trailblazed. You led the path here. Yeah. Um, so you, why did you want to buy? So you were living in Monaco anyway at the time. Yes. Right. So, yeah. you, so who are you driving for? I was twenty years old. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, I was driving for Williams. It was my first year in F1, and uh, my my manager at the time was a was a lovely guy, um, and. He basically just said, you've got to enjoy yourself. So I was like, okay. Have a bit of fun. So I'm going to buy a boat. And, uh, and I did. It was, it was called Little Missy. Right. Um, it was a, what was it? 20 metre boat. So it was... Considerable. Yeah, it was, it, was okay, it was okay for a 20-year-old. Um, no dinghy. <laughs> no, exactly. But um, yeah, it, it was reasonably expensive to run. And I remember my mates came over for the first time oh, on our trip. This is in the book. It's exactly. so funny. Good story. This. We, we, I picked him up from Nice um, Harbour. <laughs> and uh, first of all, we saw dolphins, which was pretty awesome. And then they said, JV, you know, thank you so much for inviting us over. We'd like to pay for your fuel the next time we fill up. I was like, wicked. It'll be about two and a half grand. They're like, sorry, what? It's about two and a half grand to fill up. They, they thought it was going to be just like uh, taking your car to the petrol pumps, you know, 60, 70 670 quid, yeah. but a uh, little bit more expensive. See, on now, a, on a yacht. now you've got to be careful with these conversations, I suppose, because they could sound vulgar. But you were having a laugh. You were 20, you're a Formula One driver, you were brought up in Froome, and you were having a right giggle, weren't you? Yeah. And why wouldn't you do that? Um, however, even though you were on full time uh, Formula One wages then, the payments on the boat were more than you were earning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, and I bought. It's hilarious. <laughs> and, I, and I bought a house as well, which oh, uh, well, which was way more expensive than. But, mild, uh, but uh, infinitely more sensible. Oh yeah, you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're not going to live on. Well, you could live on your boat, um, but uh, yeah. And then I remember 2001 was when I was with Benetton and Flavio Briatore was my boss. Yeah. And he actually called me a playboy. How, which I, which, how very dare he? I know. He called you a lazy playboy. Yes. 
Oh, oh, okay, that's the problem. And yeah, you said that's you're right. You said that's wrong. You said I'm not a playboy. I'm a very energetic playboy. Exactly. Have you seen me on but, that yacht? <laughs> but he was referring to maybe the motorsport at the time. Yeah, he was. And the great thing about the book is it's actually not a perfunctory pedestrian trawl through your career. Yeah, it's all the fun bits, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, it's exactly. It's it's the behind the scenes of of the you know of, of F1. It's the bits that people don't normally see. Yeah, and I and I've been open enough to to talk about the positives and talk about the negatives yeah, of, yeah. Of, of a racing driver which which doesn't happen very often because no. we don't want to show weakness I like the fact you start having a conversation with you halfway through a few pages you have a start having a conversation with yourself halfway through, <laughs> f- through a few pages you think well, that's obviously him talking to himself but he's left it in I quite like that it's very funny <laughs> alright Jensen Button how to be an F1 driver it's out today the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio He's the frontman of one of the UK's finest ever bands. His new autobiography, Afternoons with the Blinds Drawn, details Swade's astonishing story with brutal honesty. Please welcome the snake-hipped songsmith from Sussex <laughs> with cheekbones you could carve a turkey with. It's that. the one and only Brett Anderson. <laughs> Good morning, oh, Brett. I couldn't possibly live up to that kind of an introduction now. That's, welcome that's, to the that's show. Fantastic. Hi, thank you. Nice to be here, guys. The book you said you'd never write. Oh, no. Explain. God, I know. Discuss. What an awful <laughs> snake in the grass I am. Um, yeah, I, well, I wrote the first book, Cold Black Mornings, very much sort of because I didn't want to write a rock, a rock autobiography, bio, yeah, yeah. you know, and, 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 and I said I'd never write a rock autobiography. And then I really enjoyed writing Cold Black Mornings and I and really enjoyed the process of it and kind of what it did for me personally and, you know, just that whole kind of thing that how a book helps you sort your life out kind of thing. And so I thought I'd write some more. I couldn't, I couldn't not pick at the scab. <laughs> so I, I decided, I decided to write the book. I, I said I scab. wouldn't write, and and there it is, sat on your desk there. Yeah, is that yeah. because the scabbard started to itch a bit too it, much? Yeah, you know, I just really enjoyed it. No, but I tried to, I tried to kind of come at it from a different angle. You know, I, I, what, what I didn't want to do with this book was write the conventional sort of sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing that most of these books are. You know, I wanted to. It's much more a book about kind of looking at myself. Um, almost as a specimen, uh, as, a, as someone that's been through the machinery of fame and success and what that did to me as a person. Yeah, yeah. And, how, and <clears throat> you know, trying to work out how that machinery actually works because, it's, it's, you know, when you're in the middle of it, you're not aware of it. And, 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 it's, and, it, and, and it's, it's kind of not really talked about by people that are actually in it. It's talked about by observers who are outside yeah. it more, more often. Sort yeah, of so I wanted could, to kind of get into it. And, yeah, and you can observe it as much as you like, but you'll never know what it's like to be there. Yeah, um, exactly. And you can very accurately observe it and, you know, and very entertainingly and informatively observe it, but it's not the same as being there. Which yeah. are, and I've always found that interesting with PR uh, consultants and advisors who advise people who are about to be thrust into the public eye or really have been maybe yeah. on, on how to act having never done it themselves is quite incredible exactly it's a bit crazy isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. we still need them yeah, um, yeah and you talk about that in your book <laughs> so the, I think there are three there's loads of there's loads of arcs there's loads of narrative arcs but the, the three would be the songs your relationship with Bernard uh, and uh, your relationship with the press I think that's sort of how I saw it so, so you get your first deal um, you, you, then you, you, you're sort of uh, America comes calling, um, but as is as is often the case, and it was a brilliant part of any band's life is the part when they're really famous, really famous, but they're still skin. Yeah. I love that moment. <laughs> you couldn't afford yeah. to get on the plane because you you no, couldn't no, afford no, no. shoes I, or something. I, I, what was I, it? The first ever tour of America, which I missed the plane because you know you do when you're kind of 25, you miss planes. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of like I, I turned up at Heathrow with a blue plastic kind of like you know, 
news agent corner shop bag that had a kind of book in it, a change of socks and a cheese and pickle sandwich that I made for the flight, you yeah. know, holes in my shoes, you know, it's that sort of vibe. Every, every, every record company in the world was chasing the band and I still had holes in my shoes, you know, it was that sort of well, thing. And where did this feeding frenzy come from? <laughs> what, was, what was it about? What were they after? What, what did they, they want after? to They were off? after something that we had that no one else had. We were, we were singing about, uh, about sort of sexuality. We were singing about British life in a way that no one else was singing about it at the time. Um, it was something new. It was something fresh. It was something very different from the scene that had come before. Were you ever tempted to stop? To stop? Uh, strangely, no. Right. And, and, and I don't really know why. Because it was, because it was we no, were... you were not an overnight success by any shape. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. We, we played, to, we regularly played. To, there, were, there were regularly, at our gigs, there were regularly more people on stage than in the audience. And how long had you been together regularly. for? Regularly. Uh, we, we, this was happening for like three or four years. So it was pro- a, a proper apprenticeship. It was really it? depressing, you know. It was really, <laughs> really depressing. Um, it was but, really rock and roll, really depressing. It's good. To begin with. It's good for you. You learn by, 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 by messing up. You learn by making mistakes. It's really important. All right. Um, in the book, you do allude to, and I'm, I'm sort of, I don't know, I'm being over diplomatic here, but it's called Afternoons with the Blinds Drawn. And, you know, you talk about your, your various addictions. You don't talk about them specifically, which is really, interesting okay and by the way i'm not going to i'm not going to challenge you on that at all yeah. i find that really interesting but i think i know why you've done it but you talk about the, your, the bands you know fall, fall fall from grace uh your challenges your struggles um you know spending f- far too many afternoons going to, into evenings on various substances doing various things with various people but you don't say what those various things are yeah and i like that because because in a way, well, well, we know what that was. Okay, yeah. so re- you read the book. We know what that was, and I've read some reviews of your book, and they say he doesn't say what, he doesn't say why, he doesn't say who with, he doesn't say for how long. Um, well, they sh- you know those people should get out more, I think, because if you can't fill in those kind Work of gaps, it out. I mean, I didn't, I didn't use. There's a few proper nouns I didn't use in the book for very specific reasons because I think as soon as you do that. It's going to be you're going to sen- it's going to be sensationalised. The way the mod- well, the way the media exactly. works, the way the media works is that these things get taken out of context. And as soon as you use a name of something or of someone, it's plucked out, taken out of context, kind of like magnified, turned into a story that it isn't. And as soon as it's bereft of context, then it's sort of like it's kind of bereft of a certain sort of meaning. It's got a life of its own. And I didn't want to sensationalise these things. I wanted to talk about them in, in broader concepts, the broader concept of addiction and substance abuse and stuff like that. You know, who cares exactly what I was taking? Taking that was just, that's just sort of like that's just tittle tattle. That's exactly, the point is yeah, yeah, yeah. the point is that the, is is the journey that I went through with these things yeah, and what it did to me and why I did them. That was what I was trying to get into. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. The minefield of pregnancy, endless nappy changing, and saying goodbye to a good night's sleep for the rest of your life. Being a mum is the hardest job in the world. The new book, The Unmumsy Mum, A to Z, An Expert Guide to Parenting is out now and here to reassure us that nobody really knows what they're doing. It's author and blogger Sarah Turner. All right, Sarah Turner. Sarah Turner. Sarah Turner. Sarah Turner. Everybody thinks you're great. The work's on the show and it's a bit embarrassing because like super fans... Morning. Good morning. Wow, what an intro. The unmumsy mum. Okay, it's very important to have a good handle, and that is a great handle, the unmumsy mum. When did that phrase come into your head? Well, uh, about six and a half years ago when Mm -hmm. I started the blog, I had to come up with a name. And I was like, oh, what do I pick? Um, But I think unmumsy does get misconstrued quite a lot because people think it's an attack on 
mumsiness. No, but people who people who think it's an attack on mumsiness think everything is an attack on everything. <laughs> so do you know what? Don't worry about those people because none of those people listen to this show. And if they do, they, they need to retune the now yeah. to some other station because they're stupid, basically. It was how I felt at the time. So the first time you ever went on the keyboard to write a blog, yes. right? Was it going to be a long blog? Was it going to be a page? You know, did you want to hook people in straight away? Were you almost too conscious about what you're going to write? Tell us about where were I want to know, was it a Tuesday? Was it raining? I want to know because it's so massive, your blog now, and your whole following is massive. Yeah. Tell us exactly exactly what time it was what was on the telly what you have i want to know everything about the beginning of this blog it was a friday night yep i had uh finished working i was working part-time at the university of exeter mm-hmm. i've been told part-time work was the holy grail for uh for mums the best of both worlds and had fast discovered it was the best of no worlds and uh and so i was feeling a little bit disillusioned with the whole parenting thing I was the mum of just the one and wanted to punch anybody in the face that said if you got just the one at the time and um, I'd looked online to find things that would maybe reassure me that I wasn't this massive Accident of motherhood. In, what time of night was it? Evening. What time about? I don't know. Half five seven? o'clock. Oh, so no. early evening. Yeah, it was early evening. Okay, had you had a glass of wine? Uh, no. Because <laughs> that's what we're all thinking. I hadn't. Um, but there was no fear. You know, you said, did I overthink or was yeah, I yeah. worried about what yeah, I was yeah. writing? No, because no, I had no followers. So there was nothing. There was nothing right. to lose. So when you post a blog with no followers, yeah. What? How does that work? What happens next? So I posted a blog. The first blog post I wrote. Uh, was called Other Mums Must Be Lying. And, um, and and then I thought, I need to share this with people. Brilliant. So I set up a Twitter account, Brilliant. I think the same day. Brilliant. And uh, I spam, tried to spam loads of celebrities. You know, hey, so-and-so, like, absolute cringe. You know, you might want to read my blog. Obviously, nobody ever replied. Um, built up a little following on Twitter. Took it over to Facebook. And to be honest, that was where it exploded. Right now... These these ladies here, they follow you on Instagram, right? They, okay. They, okay, they're your Instagram disciples. <laughs> um, and your Instagram account is really useful because you just dish out hacks all the time, don't you? Oh, what, like useful useful parenting? That's what you do, that's, isn't it? That's exactly it. It's, um, you know, it's how to get on, stay on top of your laundry <laughs> and, um, and what you should be preparing in your lunchbox, isn't it? No, that's not what I do. It's just real life. It's just how I'm feeling at any point of the day, uh, which is, tends, there tends to be a lot of hashtag blessed on instagram and mine's more hashtag stressed (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's what i do yeah so the a to z we start with a a and e anyone that's a good place to start (laughs) (laughs) that was the one and uh and actually um i wrote about an a and e experience uh with uh, my eldest uh and then actually since publishing the book we've had a a far worse a and e experience with the youngest who uh Face planted a coffee table and had to have his head stitched back together oh, under find, a general anaesthetic. I find it incredible no. that more kids don't get injured more often. You know, one or two trips to A and E in ten years of being a kid or ten years of being a parent—that's not terrible. In no, fact, it's, it's a minor miracle, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Um, you just have to take one look at Will, our youngest. Who uh, we always say we've excelled ourselves with this one. He's like the other two on steroids. Really? And um, youngest. Yeah. See. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. He's got to so, get in there, hasn't he? He's got to get noticed. Well, he, t- will, he will get noticed now because he's got a massive scar on his forehead. He? Yeah, he has. God oh, love him. Little... Harry Potter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the best thing though, but when you talk about Henry's A and E accident, because he fell over in the dark in his bedroom and face planted on his Batman cave. He did. But 
you're kind of you have your mum like your maternal monologue going on we've got to get him to A&E we've got to sort this out but you also had your background voice going well I told you to tidy up the room and do I have time <laughs> to vanish the carpet before we leave <laughs> I know there were new carpets okay. as well just sprayed a little bit oh. before we left yeah. Yeah, because because as, as a mum or a dad you know a sharing thing you talk about sharing yeah, yeah, as yeah. well you know you, you become extraordinarily practical you know, you? and and if they if they nearly really really hurt themselves, but they didn't at all, move on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can't add drama to, to to drama that isn't there in the first place because you know the drama's around the corner anyhow. I know exactly every day. Well, listen, great as always. Thank you very much indeed. You're amazing. Thank you for having me. Okay, what what's the plans? What's the future plans? Uh, well, um, I don't what know. No, um, absolutely not, Kirsty. No, um, <laughs> never three, say. No, I am saying okay, never. Fair enough. Uh, three <laughs> already feels like ten more than two. Um, so yeah, just uh, I'm gonna. What, you mean you've only got three? <laughs> just the three. Yeah, just the three. Uh, and also, yeah, also one, though, the other thing we always get asked is, are we going to try again for a girl? Oh, uh, So that's the other gosh. punch people in the yeah. face uh, thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Like, we've, you know, we've Una- been unlucky yeah. so far. Please, you know? please unask that question. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, time run for your life. Um, just quickly before you go, I know, I know you wrote a lot in bed, uh, didn't you? You used to write a lot in bed on your laptop, but this book has been written in an office. It has. For it, which you are eternally grateful. I am. The, co- the co- generator co-working office in Exeter where, um, yeah, I can go in and function like a normal, a normal human. How is that? It's it's weird. It is weird because <laughs> you, you have to you have to uh, have to make small talk with people at the you know making a coffee. And I haven't done for years. I've I've written yeah, other people. you know in other, bed. Other people really yeah, nice. I know. Really nice. Other people are nice. There are they other are nice. people who are nice. <laughs> Let's leave that there. You're brilliant, Sarah Turner, Thank the unmumsy mum A to Z. Uh, your Instagram account is uh, it's at the unmumsy mum. Perfect. All right. Well done. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.